0: how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 278. It's titled, You Have Permission to Spend. I recently had a conversation on LinkedIn with a listener to the show. He wrote, I'm struggling to wrap my head around the concept of feeling as if I'm living wealthy. I'm 22 years old, working in the financial industry in Canada. I was wondering what kind of standard I should be holding myself to in regards to saving and spending on the things I enjoy. I currently struggle with saving for my first house, coming up on needing a new vehicle, then also trying to grow my investment portfolio. It just feels I'm putting money everywhere without getting to enjoy these prime years of being young. Then I got an email from a Plus member. I profiled his portfolio in one of our weekly plus episodes, he's 46. Different stage of life. He has $2.2 million of net worth. After-tax income's about $340,000, and living expenses for he, his spouse, and his two children is about $90,000, $129,000 if you include debt. So making way more, taking home way more than they're spending. He wrote, I also find myself more stressed about finances, even though we are in a very strong position. It is mostly stress for myself, as I am always trying to look around the corner for the next disaster. Being self-employed, I think I developed that healthy fear over a number of years. But now it probably has tipped over into unhealthy. I think sometimes when you work so hard at a business or job, and really focus on spending way less than you make so you can invest it, it's possible to become too tight or fearful. I don't actually enjoy spending money much anymore, outside of spending on my kids or wife, unless it is an investment. I'm trying to learn to be more grateful because I know so many are way less fortunate. That said, I'd be interested to know if others have dealt with this sort of thing and how they dealt with it. That's quite the contrast. A Canadian listener just getting started says I'm putting money everywhere saving a bunch of money, but wants to know the standard of living with how much to spend on things he enjoys, where the plus member doesn't enjoy spending on himself at all. He feels tight and fearful, worried. How do we decide how much we can spend? How much are we allowed to spend? When I first started as an investment advisor, I worked with a woman. We jointly helped out some endowment and foundation clients. We were at the airport once. It was after a client meeting. We're sitting at a restaurant, and she said that prior weekend, she had been out with a friend, and they were shopping. I don't even remember what they're shopping for. But at one point, this coworker of mine found a, I think it was something for a house, it was a vase or something somewhat expensive, $100 or so, and was getting ready to buy it, and the woman she was with stopped her and said, do you have permission to spend? The coworker was taken aback because her friend meant, has your husband given you permission to spend the household money? The coworker was somewhat offended by that. Now, LePron and I, we talk about big purchases that we're considering making, but we don't have to get permission to spend i mean every household is different but sometimes we don't give ourselves the permission to spend we're trying so hard to save and help out our family members that we we don't even find it enjoyable to spend on ourselves because of the worry or the fear in this episode we look at how to grant ourselves permission to spend and what to spend it on in reviewing this plus member's portfolio he sent me a spreadsheet One of the cells was labeled financial freedom, and the goal was $2 million. They're currently at $1.7 million. And my question back to him was, what do you want? What is your ultimate goal? I mean, if you have financial freedom, then what? Both of these listeners are questioning. They're not on autopilot. They're not just going through the motions. They are what Henry David Thoreau would call... Awakening. The philosopher and naturalist, in his book Walden, he wrote, Moral reform is the effort to throw off sleep. The millions are awake enough for physical labor, but only one in a million is awake enough for effective intellectual exertion. Only one in a hundred million to a poetic or divine life. To be awake is to be alive. Both listeners are awakening they're struggling with the same question that most of us struggle with. What's the purpose for what we do each day? And do we get purpose from that? I read a book this week by Dr. Samuel Alexander. It was titled, Just Enough is Plenty, Thoreau's Alternative Economics. Alexander is a lecturer at the University of Melbourne and he's director of the Simplicity Institute. He writes, this notion of awakening brings us face to face with our focus question, which I hope has not been lost. If we are to know how much material wealth is enough and thereby avoid laboring without end or purpose, then first we need to confront the question, enough for what? Put otherwise, we need to ask ourselves, what should we want material wealth for? Seneca, in letter two, wrote, Do you ask what the proper limit is to wealth? It is first to have what is necessary, and second, to have what is enough. But that's the question. Enough for what? And it's not easy to figure out. I mentioned that in episode 268 on how to better manage risk, where I quoted Alison Schrager. Her book is An Economist Walks Into a Brothel and Other Unexpected Places to Understand Risk. And she said, figuring out what we want, it sounds simple, but knowing what you want might be the hardest part of risk management. And we went through the steps of risk management, but step one was figuring out what we want. And it's normal to struggle with that. I've had two dreams recently. I don't often share my dreams, but these were in the past two days. Both times I woke up and couldn't go back to sleep. This morning I woke up at 4.30. I dreamed I was going back to college. And you know what I decided to study? Finance. Again, I wanted a second bachelor's degree in finance. Because for whatever reason, the first one wasn't good enough. And in some ways, I have two degrees in finance because I have an undergrad in finance. And then I got an MBA in finance. Learned much of what I should have learned the first time around. But in this dream, I was going for round three. And it was the first day of school. I had my schedule and I couldn't do it. And I wanted to know, like, what should I study? What's the purpose? And the day before, I had another recurring dream. We're moving. I find a part of our house that I didn't know existed. In this case, a huge barn full of stuff that I had to get rid of. And I often have the dream that I forget that we own a house. And then I find out we're moving that there was another house I forgot that we owned. It's fallen into disrepair. The first dream is about the inner life. What am I going to study? The second dream is about our outer world, the stuff we have. And there's always a balance. If we focus too much on getting stuff, it can distract us from our inner life. Dwayne Elgin wrote the book Voluntary Simplicity. And he describes voluntary simplicity as a manner of living that is outwardly more simple and inwardly more rich a way of being in which our most authentic and alive self is brought into direct and conscious contact with living. This idea of voluntary simplicity is very old. Here's a definition by Richard Gregg. He was a student of Gandhi's, of Mahatma Gandhi. And in 1936, he wrote the following in the Visva Bharati Quarterly Journal. Voluntary simplicity involves both inward and outward condition. It means a singleness of purpose, sincerity, and honesty within, as well as avoidance of exterior clutter, of many possessions irrelevant to the chief purpose of life. It means an ordering and guiding of our energy and our desires, a partial restraint in some directions, in order to secure greater abundance of life in other directions. It involves a deliberate organization of life for a purpose. Of course, as different people have different purposes in life, what is relevant to the purpose of one person might not be relevant to the purpose of another. The degree of implication is a matter for each individual to settle for himself. Figuring out what we want, our purpose is something that we do our entire life. It's hard to figure out, and it can change over time. We're not here just to keep saving for retirement so we can quit or get early retirement. It's the journey that matters. And a Canadian listener, I think, is a little weary from the journey because he's spending all his time saving and is trying to figure out, when can I spend money on other things, things that I enjoy? This idea that we're always figuring out the purpose. I mean, that is the purpose of life, to figure out why we're here. E.F. Schumacher, in his book A Guide for the Perplexed, wrote, In this life we find ourselves as in a strange country. Ortega Igasa once remarked that life is fired at us point blank. We cannot say, hold it, I'm not quite ready. Wait until I have sorted things out. Decisions have to be taken that we are not ready for. Aims have to be chosen that we cannot see clearly. This is very strange and on the face of it quite irrational. Human beings, it seems, are insufficiently programmed. Not only are they utterly helpless when they are born and remain so for a long time, even when fully grown, they do not move and act with the sure-footedness of animals. They hesitate, doubt, change their minds, run hither and thither, uncertain not simply of how to get what they want, but above all, what they want. And here's the thing. Figuring out what we want takes money. It means spending money on things that help us find our purpose. On this show, on a number of occasions, I've done a taxonomy of stuff. A taxonomy is usually applies to animals and plants, categorizing scientific things, natural phenomena. But we can do the same thing. We do it when we do our monthly budget. This category of spending, that category, we want to do it from a more philosophical perspective. I went through an example of this in episode 244, where we use the categories of the philosopher Frederick Rowe about necessities, things that are useful, things that are superfluous. Today's episode, this taxonomy is from Thoreau, as interpreted by Samuel Alexander, the lecturer in Melbourne that I mentioned. The four categories of goods that Alexander puts forth based on his interpretation of Thoreau are necessities, comforts, luxuries, and tools. Necessities are the basics: food, clothing, shelter, and fuel. And if we don't have those things, if we're impoverished, then that's not voluntary simplicity. Elgin, points out that's involuntary simplicity. He gives the example of someone that chooses to bike to work versus someone that is forced to bike to work because it's their only transportation, and they feel resentful because of that, because they'd rather be in a car. I've known some very poor people. I was going through my stuff again, which is also a series of tasks, just going through and getting rid of things, mostly. Memories, which I'll get to in a moment. But I have this purple knitted bag. It'll be on the in the cover photo of this week's episode. And I was in Chiapas and I met a man and his house was made out of sticks. Literally. Now, I've been a lot of houses made out of sticks and clay, but this one just had sticks, which means there was gaps in it. You could see through his house. He had a hammock. And he was knitting a bag, and we stopped to say hello. And I bought the bag from him so he could have something to eat. And I've kept that bag for decades. I've never used it just to remind me of that experience. Those are necessities. Once we have that, the next level is comforts, which Alexander describes as material things that make life better, happier, and more pleasant. I knew another couple in Mexico that also made something for me, handmade. In this case, it was a hammock. A hammock that I slept in for a number of years. And that's also on the cover photo of this episode. But this couple, they had the necessities, but they also had some comforts. They lived in a house with a roof of palapa, palm leaves. It was wood, the sides with mud. But it was painted, and it actually had a cement floor, a tile floor, really. And it had partial cement walls. But it was so tidy and neat. And in that room, this man and his wife would weave hammocks. So I hired him to weave a hammock for me. Hardest part was figuring out what color to make it. Green. But I've kept that with me. They had comforts. Things that made life better, happier, more pleasant. But they didn't have much. One of the comforts that we have are these memories of of things that remind us of experiences. When I think of all the stuff I have, a lot of it is just things to remind me of something. And that's okay. Yoshida Kenko wrote about this in 1283. He's a Buddhist monk. He wrote Essays in Idleness in 1330. He said, at times of quiet contemplation, My one irresistible emotion is an aching nostalgia for all things past. Everyone is hushed and sleeping, and you are beguiling yourself through the long night hours by tidying away this and that, discarding bits of used writing paper you don't want to keep. When you come upon a page that someone long since dead had used for writing practice or to sketch something, and you suddenly feel yourself Back inside that moment. Some things we save just to go back in a moment of time. So we have necessities, we have comforts, and then we have luxuries. These are, as Alexander puts it, material things that distract us from the true purpose of life. Things that Frederick Rowe said, and he called them superfluous, that whatever remains subject to the appreciation of others or to one's own vanity. We own them to be admired by others. Not things to necessarily make life better, happier, or more pleasant, but this goes beyond that. Thoreau said most of the luxuries and many of the so-called comforts of life are not only not indispensable, but positive hindrances to the elevation of mankind. Sometimes we lose our sense of purpose and keep going after these luxuries. We have a craving for them, and philosophers over. The millennia have warned against that. We need to be wary of luxuries. We'll see that some are actually helpful because the fourth category is tools. Things that serve our self-development and help us achieve our life goals. Before we explore that topic further, let me pause here and share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts. High-yield cash accounts, where your money can earn 11 times the national average. And automated investing technology, like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Samuel Alexander points out some of the tools in Thoreau's life include books, stationaries, a lamp, his flute, hand lenses, a wheelbarrow. These are things that helped him achieve his purpose in life. But they can also, as Alexander points out, can be used unwisely or excessively. Thoreau says men have become the tools of their tools. But we can spend money on tools, things that help with our self-development. Areas that we're curious about, we want to learn how to do. Frederick Groh, in his book, A Philosophy of Walking, shared with us how to decide that. And he talked about the difference between pleasure and joy. Where pleasure, he says, is a matter of encountering. So we get a positive feeling as we encounter some element. We eat something. We experience something. It's an agreeable sensation. That's perfectly fine. But it's different from joy, which he says is an activity. It's something that we do over time. We repeat it. And by doing that, we're enriched. The man I knew that made hammocks in the Yucatan, he and his wife were joyful. Because they had a craft and they were really, really good at it. I had this experience just yesterday. My book, Money for the Rest of Us 10 Questions to Master Successful Investing, is finally in store. So we went to Barnes and Noble and there it was on the shelf. Had to look for it, but I found it. And it was kind of cool. There's my book. I got some pleasure from encountering my book there, but I was also a little let down because it wasn't. What I had expected. I got joy from actually writing the book, going through the effort, and sharing what I hoped to be is a useful book on investing with all of you. That's where the joy came, the process of writing and drafting and redrafting the book. Seeing it in print brought some pleasure. But I want to write another book so I can experience that joy. So please buy this one and share with others so that hopefully a publisher will let me write another book. Now, Thoreau was a little suspicious of some technology or tools. He wrote, modern improvements, there is an illusion about them. There is not always a positive advance. Our inventions are want-to-be-pretty toys, which distract us from serious things. They are an improved means to an unimproved end. And he was suspicious because sometimes we spend spend a lot of time working to earn enough money to get these tools. And sometimes the tools can distance us from the natural environment. But spending money on high-quality tools that you use if you're learning a new craft, you're learning a new skill, does bring joy because they're tools that help you do the activity well. A quality laptop, a quality pen quality notebooks. It just feels better. So that leaves us with trying to figure out what's a comfort, what's a luxury, and what's a tool that can help us. One way we can distinguish is a question that Dwayne Elgin points out that we should ask ourselves before we we buy anything. He says, does what I own or buy promote activity, self-reliance, and involvement, or does it induce Passivity and dependence. Is it something that will let us be active, to do something, to experience something, to learn something and will lead to joy? Or is it just something that we'll encounter that might give us temporary pleasure? It's that first category that we can feel good about spending money on. And sometimes, in order to have time to actually use those things we buy, we have to work less. And so there's always a balance. Thoreau said, simplify, 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 and the idea is to do what William Power said in his book, Hamlet's Blackberry, Building a Good Life in the Digital Age. He wrote, Thoreau's method was to strip away the layers of complexity that outer life imposes, to simplify, simplify, and in so doing, recover the lost depth. He quotes Thoreau's scholar, Bradley P. Dean, who wrote, by simplifying our outward lives, we are freer. And better able to expand and enrich our inward lives. Getting rid of clutter and excess, we're doing as Elgin says, it's like stripping, sanding, and waxing a fine piece of wood that has long been painted over. Getting it to its essence, we have to get rid of that clutter that distracts us the physical clutter, the mental clutter, the noise, the distraction, so that we can get a better sense of what our purpose is and have the time to discover that purpose. Now, this has been somewhat of a theme in this year on the show, partly because that's the process I'm going through. As we've sold our house and we continue to get rid of stuff, strip things away, and I think about it every week as I see what is it that I'm spending my time on. Do I have an adequate amount of space to reflect on these things? Power's right. sometimes it really does feel as though your brain is extended so far in the outward world, it's left your body. When this happens, it's very difficult to back inward and be alone with your thoughts. That's what depth comes down to, really taking all the stuff your mind has gathered in its travel back inside to sort through it and see what it all means, to make it your own. The only way to cultivate a happy inner life is to spend time there. And that's impossible when you're constantly attending to the latest distraction. So what I would say to these two listeners is you have permission to spend money on yourself. I'm confident you won't go overboard. And that we are allowed to spend, especially on those things that will bring joy, that are active, that help us figure out our purpose in life. We follow our curiosity. Maybe we take a class we want to learn pick up a new skill or buy a book as we figure it out. And we need to strip away the physical and mental clutter that impedes us from accomplishing that. So you have permission to spend. That's episode 278. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. While there, please sign up for my free insider's guide and I'll email the links to the books and articles I shared in that week's episode, along with an essay on money investing in the economy. Some of the best writing I do each week right to your inbox. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. i am not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.